So let's turn in that note to Matthew 25. We're still working our way through Matthew. And I say this often. You know what? I haven't said it in the last three or so weeks. This is one of my favorite passages. <laughs> Scripture. The other one's like abomination of desolation and all that stuff. Like that's not my favorite necessarily. But this one, uh, this one's getting up there. And let's talk about why. And I'm excited to. Um, and it, it's a story, if we've grown up in church, it's a story you may have heard, but I, I feel like can get um, passed over. And I'm sorry, I said Matthew 25, it's Matthew 26. So um, it's a story that can get passed over a bit, um, mainly because it's in the other Gospels. It's, it's basically in the other accounts of Jesus' life. And so it's this, like, common story. And we know familiarity can breed content with us. You know what I mean? We can be like, eh, yeah, it happened. Whatever, right? Well, let's look at it because it's, it, it could be very exciting to us. So let's, let's check it out. I'm going to start just in verse 1. Um, it says this, When Jesus had finished all these sayings, which again, all these sayings are hard sayings. This is not like um, Jesus, um, this is not like, super uh, happy future Jesus is what's happening now. He knows he's about to go to the cross, so he's starting to talk to people about that. Um, Jesus is starting to talk to Pharisees uh, more bluntly than he has in other times in his ministry. He's talked to his disciples in the same way. He hasn't sugarcoated things lately. Um, We have kind of a lot of, uh, look, what's happening we need to get ready for, and y'all aren't ready because you're not in the frame of mind of understanding what a Messiah is to you, right? So it's not pleasant lately. Um, And it says, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days, the Passover's coming, right? This wonderful uh, feast and festival and holiday in the Jewish tradition that means so much to them that we can't even kind of understand and comprehend. And the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. He says this again. He said, two days after the Passover, I'm going to be crucified. And they still don't quite capture it. Maybe he's, he's talking in metaphor. Maybe he's talking about someone else. Surely not him. And then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in one place of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, not during the feast lest there be an uproar among the people. So now the, the wheels and the gears get in motion, right? For Jesus to be handed over, they just need to figure out how now, right? We've had plenty of stories in Matthew. Remember, there's one with like this crazy language that says, after he said this to them, they sought to destroy him. And it is the word of destroy. It's not kill. It's not like end his life. It's like destroy everything about him, his history, his future, his everything, right? So they've had plenty of times like this, but now... They get together with the high priest, and as a group, they say, okay, what are we going to do about this? This is hurting our system. It's hurting the process. We, we, our power is in danger here. The people love him too much. What are we going to do to end this? And then in this, like, scene, in this um, atmosphere, this mood, right, this season of Jesus' life, we have this next story that is so important to us for a jillion reasons, and we'll talk about a few, but that's, that's the scene this is in, and we have to know that. We have to know now everything Jesus does at this point is a few days until the end of this. So everything now, and everything has been purposeful with Jesus. There's, 
um, scripture in Mark that says that Jesus says we'll be judged for every careless word we utter, and thus he doesn't utter careless words. Everything is purposeful. But we have now the final day. So everywhere Jesus goes, everyone he talks to, everything he proclaims is, is a different weight, right? It means something different than three years ago, possibly, okay? And this is what happens. Now, when Jesus was at Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, also important, at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you will always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So the scene is Jesus is at Simon the leper's house. This is important because they don't say Simon. The writer wants you to know the situation with Simon. He has this unclean skin disease, either has been healed by Jesus, but would not be counted as clean to the rest of the community because Jesus healed him, and that, that wouldn't work with them, right? And he's at this house, and they're having a dinner. And again, this is close to the Passover. This is close to the end of Jesus' life, and he wants to spend it with a leper. So he goes to his house, and his closest people come to this house, and then this woman comes in, in other accounts, it could be Mary, it could be, um, it, depending on the time and situation that it is, um, a sinful woman, this happens to him more often than, you know, this one time, but comes in with an alabaster flask, and we're going to read the Mark passage in a little bit, breaks it open and pours it all on Jesus' hair and starts anointing him with it. Um, so let's, let's talk about a few things just right at the get-go. Um, I want to talk about first, and then we'll, we'll kind of go back and forth. Let's talk about this comment from the disciples. They say, how could she do this? This could be sold and given to the poor. Does anyone know how much this was worth? It says it in Mark a little more clearly, but does anyone know about how much this, this, um, this perfume would be worth? $5,000, that's a lot, but it's more than that, but that's, that's close. It's almost a year's wages. In, in Mark, and we're going to read it, I believe it says in Mark, it could be in another passage, but it says it's 300 denarii. A denarii is like a very normal middle class day's work. So you have 300 days of work that this is worth. So in today's standards, depending on where you work, it could be anywhere between Forty-five dollars and $125,000 of money that, that's set up. And a lot of times, this, this perfume, what's beautiful about it, this perfume off, often would be passed down generations. It would be like what, what you leave to your kids. You're like, if you ever get in a bind, you have this perfume. You know what I'm saying? It's like um, if someone passes down land from their great-grandfather or something, it's like, look, we've held this, we never sold it, so that if you need it, you can sell it. If you don't need it, hold it. Give it to your kids, they'll sell it if they need it. It's that kind of thing. Someone worked for this perfume generations ago, possibly. This lady didn't work for this perfume. This is something that's been passed down in her family that would have been like, 
the, the emergency fund, basically, is what this is, to the, to the extreme, because it also holds cultural significance. It also is, is a beautiful smell. It's all these other things. So it's different than we would even think about. It's not perfume. It means way more than that. It's added weight. And she comes in, and she breaks it and pours it on Jesus, and the disciples say, what are you doing? It's worth $60,000. We could have sold that and given it to the poor. Now, think about the story Jesus just told them. What was the story just above that we talked about last week? Does anyone remember? How does Jesus separate goats and sheep? What's he say? What you do to the least of these you do for me, right? And then now Jesus is honoring this thing and the disciples sound on the right track, right? They don't sound crazy. They sound like they're actually listening for once, right? They're like, Jesus just said, if you do things for the least of these, you do it to me. She's not listening. We listened this time. Like, we, we get you. We should have given this to the poor. How dare her? You know, she's wrong. You know, she should have taken her inheritance that she can do whatever with, and she should have given it to the poor, right? That's what they say. And it sounds reasonable. I mean, Jesus just said, like Kevin said, whatever you do to the least of these, you did for me. Whatever you didn't do for the poor, you saw someone naked, you didn't clothe them. You saw someone without a home, you did not invite them in. You saw someone hungry, did not offer them anything to eat, right? You didn't do this for me because you didn't do it for them. So it sounds reasonable. But if we go to the Mark passage, I think it's important. So I'm going to read the Mark passage. Mark has a comment that I think is very important to the story that's going to give us a better frame of reference on what Jesus responds to them, right? Because what does he tell the woman or what does he tell the crowd? He says, no, look, you'll always have the poor with you. You won't always have me, right? But then in Mark, we have a little bit different comment at the end. And it says this, while he was sitting at Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, reclining at the table, a woman came in with an alabaster flask of ointment, a pure nard, very costly, broke it and pours it on them, pours it on Jesus' head. They said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that. That's important. Why was it wasted? To them, it was nothing that she put it on Jesus' head. That word is, is crucial in the story. Wasted the ointment. For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her, but Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's done a beautiful thing. For you will always have the poor with you. And here's the deal. You will always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. He said, here's the deal. Poor here. If you want to, you could have done something good for them. Scolding this woman for pouring this out on my head, saying it's worthless and wasted. And if you wanted to, you could sell your alabaster flask and give it to the poor. It's a different mindset there. It's, it's like this idea of, I'll, I'll tell you a, a sort of story. So in college, I think, I don't know when it was, um, a friend of mine uh, went to a church to speak at something or whatever, and this exorbitantly wealthy guy comes in, and my buddy's like a fashion guy, and sees the shoes the guy's wearing at church, and they're like, $4,000 shoes, 
at the time. That's like a lot of years ago, so it's like really worth something now. But he has these expensive shoes on, and he just, he's just like, ugh, what kind of church is this? This guy can come in with $4,000 shoes on? What the hell's going on here? What is this? Ridiculous. This guy doesn't know. He could sell his shoes, feed a lot of people today. Had no idea that this guy supports like 15 nonprofits in the town with millions of dollars a year. Has no idea that that's what that guy does, right? And once he finds out about it, feels terrible, talks to us, his roommates, and is like, also, too, I haven't sold my shoes. <laughs> and scoff at this person and how they spend their money. Yet, my shoes aren't given away. I'm cool spending 200 on shoes or whatever it was at the time, right? So it's this, this idea of them scolding her and Jesus calling out everyone's heart in the moment and saying, no, 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 actually, if you wanted to, you could feed the poor. You could sell what you have too. Why don't you sell your inheritance? Sell your house. Let's give that away. Let's sell, what you're, let's sell your boats that your fisherman father gave. If it's that important to you, if, that, if it's that big a deal, sell that. Give it to the poor. And the idea here isn't, isn't that we shouldn't do things for the poor, obviously. It's this idea that, that, we, that we can judge and find things wasteful or not wasteful. And that's the deal. It's the this, it's this same kind of thing with Mary and Martha, right? When they're, they're, one of them is cleaning up and preparing and doing all these things for the people that are here to see Jesus and like making sure that the day runs well and is doing this wonderful, beautiful thing. We're just coordinating the whole day, right? Working her tail off when no one else seems to be. And then the other sister is just sitting at the feet of Jesus and Jesus says, I like them both. These are both wonderful you're doing something wonderful, she is also doing something wonderful, spending time with me. It's, it's, it's this idea of whatever we have, giving it in whatever way we're supposed to give it, right? But even crazier than that is his response right after. And Jesus says, I love it so much. Um, this woman has done a beautiful thing for me Always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. Preparing this ointment and pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare for my burial. So this idea of anointing, right? The language is used a few times, and Matthew uses it for a Jewish audience. Where have we heard, and, and if we don't have a ton of examples, that's fine. If you have one, it's wrong. I'll make it sound right or whatever. But where in the Old Testament has someone been anointed? What is it? Okay, who are Saul and David? Who are the anointed? What are their roles? Kings, right? They're both kings. Who is the anointer? Prophet. Okay, very good. What, what other examples do we have? Do we have any more? Think older. Like first priest or something. Mm -mm. Probably, but... I mean, honestly, probably. Aaron. Aaron and his sons get anointed, right? As high priests, as the go-between, right? Between God and people. The high priest. Who anoints them? It's okay. Not making eye contact with me. Like, don't, don't ask me. I don't want you to do that. Moses anoints them, right? Moses does. Who is Moses in the story? What would we call him? Like the first prophet, right? Maybe the first priest, sort of. 
What else? Do we have other examples? We have the altar of God anointed, right? When they create the altar of God in the Old Testament and they build it just exactly like God wants. And then who anoints that altar? Prophets and priests every time. When the tabernacle goes from place to place, and then once they build an actual temple, they anoint the pillars of the temple. They anoint the holy room. They anoint all these things. Who anoints it? Prophets and priests. Every time. 100% of the time. Jesus is not joking around about his language. He's incredibly purposeful here. He says, in my kingdom, the kingdom I am bringing right now, The priest in the room, the prophet in the room, is the woman you are scolding. That's the prophet. He said, my kingdom, the women and the lepers, prostitutes, they are our prophets. He said, and I need them, and I love them. And every time the story's told, everyone's going to forget about you. Or if they don't, they're only going to say that you scolded my prophet. My prophet is the one who understands who I am and knows that this is the time to anoint and make this moment holy. And that woman knew. It's, it's, it's beautiful because that, that shouldn't be upside down. But culture made that upside down. The woman shouldn't know. She shouldn't get to touch him, by the way. She shouldn't have been, been able to get close enough to the holy man in the room to touch his hair. That's an intimate thing. And she did it anyway. She could have been scolded, or reprimanded, or worse, depending on the party. And she chooses to waste her family's inheritance, pouring it on Jesus, and then is the priest and prophet. She said, I am all in, absolutely. It's funny, um, the late Rachel Held Evans writes about this one part. And I'm going to butcher the quote a little bit, but she says, surely a woman would know such things. Surely a woman would know that a man who eats with lepers, who dines with prostitutes, who tells tax collectors to come down from the tree and goes to their house, the man who speaks against the Pharisees, the scribes, and the Sadducees, surely that man is not long in this world. Maybe that's why The women stayed at the cross when everyone else left because they intuitively know such things. They are the priests and the prophets and we cannot be. And surely this story is proof of that. That the women of that day, the prostitutes of that day, the the broken down men who were lepers and left their families and finally were able to come back, the tax collectors who were the the evil ones, the, the the conspirators with Rome, surely those could be priests and prophets of their day. Jesus uses this time right before his death to say, guess what? You who think you're prophets, you who think you're priests, you who think are outsiders and you who think are insiders, no, no, that's upside down. I'll tell you who the insider is. It's the one who doesn't know what to do except break everything they have and pour it on my body. That's what. That's the one I want. That's the one whose story gets told. That's so beautiful to me. Jesus doesn't mind saying it for everybody. Thinks they're important. (laughs) Who's going to argue? You remember earlier who's on the right and who's on the left? Jesus says, neither of you. (laughs) To be honest, this this lady here, be real upfront, she's the priest of this room. She's the only one that knows what's happening. It's beautiful. 
you know what else is interesting about this? This perfume. First of all, it's a lot of perfume. It's a, it's a, it's a bunch. Right? It's not like a vial, you know what I'm saying? It's a, it's a large jar. It's like, um, and a lot of times, it's funny, I've, I was trying to read a little about this. <laughs> it reminds me, this is a terrible way to look at it probably, it reminds me of like a piggy bank that doesn't have a bottom. You know, like now piggy banks, they have that little bottom, a little cork, you're like, and then the money can come out, you like shake the pig, all funny. This is a piggy bank that only has the slot at the top. There's no opening for this. You don't open this jar. It's pure currency. You don't use this to, you don't use this to perfume anything. It's currency. It's money. It's gold. It's, it's like having a gold bar in a jar. So to use it, you can't use a little bit. You smash it, okay? Like in a piggy bank, in a piggy bank, if you got a big piggy bank, and you, you, it's hard to get money out of the slot at the top that's just big enough for a quarter, right? You can't like shake it enough to get something out. You got to smash it with a hammer and break it. And then whatever you're buying better be important because you don't have any more piggy bank, right? That's what she has to do. And when she does, the, the smell of that perfume would have got on everything. She anoints Jesus. She anoints Jesus' hair and his head and his face and his beard and his back and everything else. But the smell of that perfume would have like, been on everything. It would have got all over the dinner. It would have got on the food. You would have tasted the smell as you eat the food. It would have been seeping under the door out into the street. It would have been in the neighbor's houses. It would have been all over the disciples, all over their smelly sandals, all over their tunics with dust on the bottom. It would have been everywhere. Because and, and I'm not, this, I don't think this metaphor is reaching. When someone says, I am all in, I am with you till the end, whatever I can do to show you, I'll do it. The like aroma of that desire, of that intensity, of that um, uh, need to show affection spills all over everything. It gets on your neighbor. It's all over your house. It's all over your kids and your partner and, your, and your, your life and your work, and it goes with you wherever you are. All the people leaving that party smelled like the most expensive perfume in the town, possibly for days, because someone poured out their affections in the only way they knew how, in the most sacrificial way they knew how, and it covered everyone in the room. No one was immune to it, whether they scoffed or not. They smelled it a long time. And I, I just believe when we do the same, when we are people who say, you know what, whatever it takes to be all in, we'll do it. We will be all in. We absolutely will. I'm sure of it. Scoffing or not scoffing, whatever it is, we're in. And we pour ourselves out absolutely the aroma of that, the, like, uh, the mood of that, the, the sacrifice of that spills everywhere. Everyone, you can't, you can't hide that. That doesn't, that doesn't go away quickly. It just seeps onto everything you're a part of, everything you touch. Everything you say and do is just flavored with that. Everything just, just happens to bring back to, oh yeah, that smell is everywhere. And everyone around has to react to it. Some scoffed, some loved it, right? I bet you the neighbors didn't mind. The 
that doorway smelled nice when they walked by. It's intriguing to people. It, it draws people. It's, it's, it's one of those things that this lady's sacrifice was more than just her and Jesus, but not to her. To her, it was just her and Jesus. She didn't do it so that everyone would hear her story later, right? She's just concerned with Jesus knowing. She loves him right then. She wants to prophesy over his body, you know? So I just, I think I just want us today to think through some of that. Maybe we need to remember that Jesus' upside-down kingdom doesn't, doesn't see prophets and priests the way we do. The ones that have it most together, right? The cleanest, the wealthy, the ones that aren't ever sick, the ones that are always the helpers and not ever the helped, right? That's who we see as the prophets and priests, the ones that, that give and don't have to receive. All those people, that's, that's who we see, right? Jesus sees differently than that. He sees the, the actual sinner, right? The one who is sick and needs a doctor. He says, you're my prophet. The, the fringe of society, the marginal, the outcast, he says, you're my priest. You're the one I want to be the priest. In fact, they're the ones that are going to stay with Jesus till the end, oftentimes. So maybe that's part of it for us, just a, a mind shift for some of us. And then maybe, maybe it's, it's a thing where maybe we just pray as we take communion here in a minute that we would know what to pour out for the kingdom of heaven at hand, right? What are we, what are we to pour out for Jesus' sake? How do we anoint Jesus' self? What does that mean to us? What does that metaphor look like in your life? And I don't know. I, I don't even have a ton of examples for you. But what does that mean to you? What does it look like? Is maybe a question we ask this morning. And we go from there. So let me pray for us, and then we will enjoy some more songs and communion. Um, but before we do, let's pray. God, we are thankful for your at-hand kingdom. We're thankful that you saw people so differently than the Pharisees and the disciples and the scribes. You see people so differently than the pastors and the elders and the put-together. You see people so differently than the wealthy, the American, the successful. You see your sons and your daughters and you see priests and prophets. God, I pray that we would look at each other the same. I pray that we would be ready to just break our inheritance for you. <laughs> whatever that would mean. <laughs> God, we love you. And we ask that we would enjoy your communion and enjoy your company. In Jesus' name.